Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Welcome to Hollywood and Levine. I am Ken Levine, your podcast host. And this is part two of my interview with Emmy-winning writer... Jim Vallely. If you missed part one after you listen to this one, please go back and check that out. Very funny writer. He has been involved in a lot of great shows. Last week, we spent some time talking about Golden Girls in particular. And this week, among other topics, we are going to get into Arrested Development and find out the behind-the-scenes story and just uh, how that show was written, how they came up with stories, and also how that show benefited from TiVo. What does that mean? Well, you will find out. Part two, my interview with Jim Vallely this week on Hollywood and Levine. When you're in a good writer's room, it's so much fun. It's, it's so best. funny. You really do laugh all day long. It is, you know, and I have been in some great ones. Well, the Golden Girls Room was hysterical. Mark Cherry, Mitch Hurwitz, Gail Parent. Uh, 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 Tracy Gamble. I mean, really just like funny guys. And of course, the major objective in, in a writing room is to laugh so hard and then write. I, you know, <laughs> uh, uh, on some rooms, I mean, when I was on Two and a Half Men, it was about 50 minutes of laughing for every 10 minutes of writing. <laughs> you know, it was just, it is the best job in the world. And you almost feel, I don't want to say guilty taking a paycheck. But um, I remember somebody said to me once, you know, you work hard for your money. And I went, no, I don't. <laughs> I go, I like the stress. I like, you know, I, you know when, when, when we accomplish it, when we get it right, it's the best thing in the world. And when we get it wrong, it's like it's only a TV show. You know, when you're doing uh, Two and a Half Men, that's a Chuck Lorre show. Uh-huh. And that has its own particular method where all of the scripts are room written yeah yeah when i got there it was all room written okay how was that process to work you know in? you know you know actually it's it's a it's a process it's I, it was not a, not unusual to me um you know don don would do that on uh I, I worked on my wife and kids with him and uh that was a very loose show but 
we would have a script that we would work off of. Okay, people would go home and write the script, mm-hmm. and 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 and, and the, at least when I got there on Two and a Half Men, you know, you had two rooms going, and you know, one room would break the story, and they'd bring that to the other room, which was a little more senior, I guess would be the word, and they would run it by them, and they would make their things, and then you'd send it back to the other room, and they would write a script. You know, like four or five uh, writers would write a script and send it to that room. So it was constantly, yeah, I, I think it's a totally valid way of doing it. Absolutely. You know, I mean, if, you know, they don't do it in the UK, but uh, when you, when you, when, when you have to do 22 episodes a year, it's very difficult. And I, you know, because usually you know you're going to get the, the same consistency. Um, you know, it would be more homogenous. But all of a sudden, you know, when you have a script coming in from a writer and they're all good writers, they're going to, it's, I think it's what you were saying. It's just like, no, you can't take that line out. Oh no, that's my favorite scene. Oh geez. My mother actually said that. This is my tribute to my mommy. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so let's just put on, and it's faster. And, and Chuck, Chuck Lorre Chuck really, knows what he really wants. works well for oh, people my like you who are good in a room. Yeah. who are good at pitching jokes. Like Neil Simon would last 11 minutes in a Chuck Lorre room. Right, right, exactly. Although, you talked about uh, oh, 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 no oh, oh, stress oh, oh, you know, on the he, stage. He Pardon me? You talked about no stress on the stage. Uh, what about Two and a Half Men? Were you there during the whole Charlie I was, Sheen I, flap? I, I, was, I was there uh, after Charlie left, and uh, there was zero stress, zero stress. Ah, most stress-free job I've ever had. <laughs> it was, you know, John Cryer is, well, I, I always felt that John Cryer was, you know, the, the, the hero of that show. And um, I, I don't think, he, like, he's another one of my top, he's, he's so good uh, and, and so free and so giving an actor that I think he, you know, he, he, he propped up Charlie Sheen, you know what I mean? If, mm-hmm. I, if they were basically a comedy team, you know, he, uh, you know, he he definitely propped it up and made and 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 was generous enough to give Charlie Sheen, you know, the punchline quite often. You know, uh, there's like no ego there, and that's that's what I think makes a really good comedy actor is like you know not a lot of ego. So I guess the writers who had lived through the whole Charlie Sheen thing. <laughs> probably um, were battle scarred by the time you, know, you got there. You know, you, you get used to it, you know, and, but from what I heard was with the Charlie Sheen thing, it all happened off the stage. He never missed a rehearsal. He never, you know, complained about the show. You know, it would be his offstage shenanigans, but I, uh, from what I understand and from what I, what I heard, it was like, no, he wasn't that bad to work with, you know, he's a pro, you know, He's getting a million bucks a show. He didn't want to, you know, thing. I, I think, you know, he had a little, you know, episode. I think he had, I mean, he's got, he's got probably got mental problems, maybe. Right. You know, you got to, you know, you have to separate those two things. But he, you know, we all know the horror stories. You know, we know, you know, I know of the actress who threw, you know, when, 
<laughs> you know, the actress who threw a can of soda. At yeah, that was my friend Tom Straw. Yeah, Tom Straw. Yeah, <laughs> mm-hmm. and, and 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 when I talked to her about it, she said, "Well, Jim, <laughs> it was uh, she because because I, I knew her when she was a comedian, but she I says you know about the the throwing the soda at Tom." Straw. She goes. Well, in my defense, it was a soft drink. <laughs> that was a pretty good. Oh, one. it was a soft drink. Yeah. <laughs> it's a fucking missile. Right. But I mean, I don't think she's mean, or I don't think you know. Sometimes some people, you know, you know, they have you know problems. You know, everybody's got problems. You know, and uh, you know, it's to me, it's like. Uh, there should be a vetting system <laughs> if you're going to give somebody but basically be put them in charge of a you know 200 million dollar industry you want to make sure that they're not you know well after 4 years of of trump Nothing, i i guess yeah. it would be nice to perhaps vet the president yeah it would be but, you know that would that would that would stand on our First Amendment right to be a fucking nut job. <laughs> <laughs> now I want to move to Arrested Development. Sure, one of the great comedies of all time, and you were a major part of it. Well, thank you for saying that. Uh, it was it was Mitch and I had worked on just about everything you know that that either one of us had done, with a couple of exceptions. Mitch Hurwitz, you're talking about. Yeah, I met him. I met him on. Uh, see, I met him on that first show with Brian Keith, Heartland. Hmm. You know, and uh, and he wasn't even a writer then. He was at that point. I think he was assistant to uh, the development guy, David Himmelfarb, who would go on to develop my wife and kids and uh, the TV show, not you know my actual wife and kids. Keep your hands off my wife and kids, David Himmelfarb. <laughs> so, <laughs> so another great comedy name. David Himmelfarb. Oh yeah, <laughs> oh yeah. Oh, that's a that's a perfect comedy name. So, um, but Mitch and I, you know, and then we worked. Don, Don yeah. After Golden Girls, Don uh, uh, hired me and Mitch to work on the John Lyra Roquette show, and you know, and then uh, Mitch ran the John Lyra Roquette show for a couple of years, and I would help him on that, and uh, you know, we just worked a lot with each other, and. All the stuff that you do off camera, off, you know, that, you know, like, let's do stuff that we know isn't going to get into the show, you know. Uh, and all of a sudden, that we just, you know, you develop a, a voice for somebody. And I had a deal somewhere. And I was working on my wife and kids. And um, and Mitch said, hey, I'm working on this show, Arrested Development. It'll never go in a million years. You want to read it? Sure. And I read it. And I go, this is hysterical. This is great. Yeah, it'll never go in a million years. It was before Fox. Oh, Fox, it'll never go in a million years. <laughs> and then, you know, amazingly, he got it. He got it up. And, and, that, and that show is just like a perfect example of how important casting is. You know, it was perfect casting. It was a good combination of people who've been around in the business for a long time, like Jason and Jessica Walter and uh, Jeffrey Tambor. And then, like new, you know, relatively new faces. Will Arnett, you know, Pusha wasn't a new face, but uh, she came back with a new face. Did I say that? Uh, <laughs> uh, she, uh, you know, uh, um, you know, you know, Michael, Sarah, you know, uh, you know, these were all like, you know, a good combination of new faces and old faces, not old faces, f- more familiar faces. 
Uh, God, I hate living. I hate podcasts. <laughs> and, uh, getting a phone call from Tamara. What do you mean I got an old face? <laughs> so, but, you know, uh, Mitch was a master of casting. Like, that's the entire key to the show is that perfect casting. One of the things about uh, Arrested Development that made it so unique was I can't think of another sitcom in history that jammed as many jokes, as many concentrated laughs into one episode as Arrested Development. Now, was that by design? Yeah, it was, it was, it was by design. And, and also, uh, uh, we really didn't think that we were ever going to last more than you know 13 episodes tops so every week was like let's cram as much story like the first 13 episodes probably had the first you know 25 episodes of story crammed into it <laughs> uh, and, and 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 then we would get in and mitch became obsessed especially in editing here's how the process would usually go uh the script should have been about 27 pages long that's about how long a, a single camera script should be. Okay. Uh, studios don't like it when you shoot over, you know, right? And our scripts would start off being 65 pages long. Oh, wow. And then, <laughs> then Mitch, um, it, we, we would write them over the weekend. Or, yeah, Richie Rose, he'll tell you, Richie will tell you, we would all stay there Friday through Sunday <laughs> night. And then uh, around midnight, one in the morning, uh, Mitch would go out and he'd cut 30 pages out. And so this, so they would get 35 pages, but they were cheated pages. They were really more like 40 pages, and we'd shoot those 40 pages. Then the first cut would come in, and usually on a, on a network show, first cut would be three, three minutes long, would be considered a lot. We were always about 10 minutes long. And, and Mitch did not like to cut jokes, and he didn't like to cut story. And so we began just, you know finding new ways to tell the story, you know, and we had a narrator device so we could do that really quickly. And all of a sudden, like I say, in the editing, you, you, we would be like, Mitch, Mitch would be like, okay, we can take five seconds out here. We don't need to see him coming up to the door. We don't need to see, you know, all those like little tiny one or two second pauses that other shows had, you know, were just pulled out and just, just, just this crit and, Every every week it was the same thing. Mitch would get the the first cut, and he would say, "We're ruined," <laughs> and, <laughs> and like like just working hours and hours in in the editor. And and I, I think it's another thing. It's like he was in the editing bay. He was he oversaw every second of it. And I think a lot of a lot of showrunners hand it to the editor, especially for multicam, because you you have like maybe three or maybe four takes that you're dealing with. So there's only, you know, the, you can give it to the editor and pretty, pretty much a lot of people will come up with the same thing, but we had 10 takes, 14 takes of stuff, big, you know, big, you know, people really pushing the joke and then real subtly playing it and whatnot. And when you have it, that specific type of comedy and so many ways it can go, you really need, you know, the 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 creator of the show to hear it you know and so so we had all that stuff but we were we didn't mean for it to be this big dense thing it was just like oh well, you know let's get as much in as we possibly can and and because it really was like we're going to get canceled you know the, the the studio was calling us saying yeah we're we're, we're going to cancel you <laughs> you know i mean the ratings never were that great and of course oh. it was on fox 
And I heard that after that first year when you won the Emmy for Best Comedy, the reaction from Fox was, oh, shit, yeah. we got to keep it now. Yeah, yeah, we have to we have to pick it up. That was absolutely and, – and then – because I, I remember, you know, Emmy Magazine, remember mm-hmm. Emmy you know, And usually, you know, the, you know, the studios – and networks go way out, you know, to get that Emmy, right? right. So we say, oh, we won, we won best pick, uh, the best Emmy last year. We, we should get, we should get best, you know. I wonder what our Emmy um, uh, ads are going to look like, you know. What if I, and we look through the Emmy magazine, it comes. I go, hey, we're we're not twentieth doesn't take any ads out on us, and, and we won best comedy last year. I go. The only mention of us is they had the big sort of Fox, like the whole Fox family, you know. So we were like standing between uh, the Simpsons and Malcolm in the Middle, and, and, and those crazy original development. Right? <laughs> that, that was spent. And from what I heard was somebody called and said, "How come uh, you're not spending any money on Arrested?" And they go, "Well." We feel it's diminishing returns, right, to try to get another Emmy for this show. And we have a show that we just love to death, and we think that's going to be the next Emmy Award thing. So we have like a $3 million budget for Emmy Awards. I'm making up that number. Uh, but we've spent 50000 on you and 1950000 on the show that we know is going to be the big Emmy Award winning hit, My Name is Earl. <laughs> I opened up the Emmy magazine, and there's like an uh, uh, eight-page spread on My Name is Earl, right? <laughs> and there's a little button that you can push. And, and it's like a microchip auto thing. In, and you push it, and it says, My Name is Earl. <laughs> I got no. There was no little button for Arrested Development that went, come on! Or, you know, any of the, no, I made a huge mistake, an enormous And I just said, oh, they, they, they really don't like us. I don't know why either, because we made them a lot of money on DVDs. You know, but that's like, oh, that's another department. And they I, just didn't get it, probably. I Did you get I, a lot of network interference from Fox? A lot of notes. Great. I mean, they were great to work with. I mean, and I I have no idea where, uh, you know, what happened. Uh, I do know um, we were, you know, I thought still doing very good shows. And, you know, that one, some some cancellations are just, you just don't understand, you know. And uh, that one really was like, you know what? We're we're giving you guys a, a a good a good show here, but it was right before streaming took off. It was like the I remember the Office its first year struggled mm-hmm. in in the ratings too because it take, took people along, but but uh, they, they never promoted us. Like the third season, we came back, and usually we came back after the World Series because Fox carried the World Series, and that gave us a couple of more weeks to get the show ready. Right? We are our Initial premiere date was always after the World Series. Right. But in the third season, um, they decided, oh, you're going to come back for two weeks in September. And then we're going to take like three weeks off for the World Series or whatever. And then you'll come back after that. And it was just such a different mark to have to hit the, you know, this is literally inside baseball. (laughs) Um, But, uh, you know, when you're when you're get, getting your shows ready, and you have to have your first one ready by October 16th, versus 
uh, September. That's four extra weeks you have. Big difference. Big, big, giant difference. And for no reason at all. <laughs> you know, it's just like, you know, it was it was kind of crazy. And we had a really good arc. We, we opened with Charlize Theron coming right out of, um, you know, winning the Oscar and whatnot. And mm-hmm. I, I, that was one of the things where I thought, hey, I think we did our job. I know we did our job. And um, and um, for whatever reason, some people, I don't know who, I don't know, I don't care who, but there was this like, that show never got the love at Fox. And I never understood it. I just didn't, it's like, aren't you proud to have something? It's only half an hour for crying out loud. You also had the Russo brothers who directed a number of episodes. The the Russo brothers, well, (laughs) I I loved the Russo brothers. They really, I, I, I can't believe I didn't, I didn't mention them. And not just because they're the most powerful men in show business right now, <laughs> but um, they, they brought uh, like that. They, they really upped that mockumentary game, you know, mm-hmm. uh, sort of like, you know what it is and what, what they did, which I loved first off, you know, when you hired the Russo brothers, because, you know, they weren't, you know, super big at this time. You know, right. we were like, hey, these, these guys are great because we get like a free uh, swing cameraman. You know, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like a free cameraman because one of them would always pick up. Uh, I'll, pick, I'll pick it up. I'll catch it. And it really was like a little independent film. You know, the, those first couple of like, no one really had a trailer. You know, it was just, you know, try to shoot as many as much stuff as you can. And it's an ugly little show. In some ways, you know, it's like, there's not like this pretty, there's no lighting per se. There's, you know, but these guys, they, when usually uh, the camera would get, now with the mockumentaries, if somebody has a, a funny reaction, they cut to it before the reaction happens. Right. But us, they, they found a way to just get there in time. So it didn't anticipate the joke, you know, if that makes sense. And Yep, it, it does. And, and and they just and they just added you know so much you know it was it was luck I mean you know to have the Russo brothers and Jessica Walter giving the performance of a lifetime you know uh, and and Will Arnett and you know finding Michael Sara out of nowhere and Alia and David was just you know when he puts that mustache on you know there is no no person I'd rather write for than David Cross you know how is Liza Minnelli to work with. Uh, she was great. She was, you know, exactly who you think Liza. I think it was John Livingston's idea. What about Liza? <laughs> you know, right? Um, she was, you know, she's, she was just, she's, you know, because we, especially at some points we, we really had to cram her in. Um, uh, we had to, because uh, we would only have her for a few hours. And I think sometimes that's better, you know? Like, like we got um, Ben, um, uh, Ben Stiller, uh, to do this character, Tony Wonder. And he was always like, because especially once the show became like like hot, an in-show to do. Right. Everyone was like, oh, I'd love to do and this It was fashionable to, yeah, exactly. to be on right. it. Yeah, it was part of the zeitgeist. Exactly. And, 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 and Mitch realized right away, the only way to really get people to, who all wanted to be on the show is ask them the day before. It's much easier to get a celebrity for tomorrow than it is three months from now, you know. And uh, so you would ask the celebrity, then write it. Uh, we, we 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 would we would say, we, you know, I would, yeah. Actually, I, I think that's how kind of 
you know, we knew we wanted to do something with the magician. And then uh, and we read somewhere Ben was in town and was like, Ben, can you come in and shoot tomorrow? And he was like, yes, I can do it tomorrow, but I have to do it all in one day. And so the first episode where he's in it a lot, uh, but, you know, we shot it all in, you know, you know, over 12 hours and he's probably in about eight pages. And, uh, but that's the only way to do it. If we had said, okay, here are the pages and we're going to, you know, it's just easier to do that, do that, you know, somewhere. We got some. Right. And it's like, once they're there, once they're on the stage, you got them. Oh yeah. You got them. They're, they're you married. Got them. Yeah. 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 And, he, and he loved doing it. And, uh, <laughs> I remember we were, I, I love doing stuff quickly. And I would say, Anything I've done that has kind of like lasted has come out quickly. You know, I'm not like a guy who goes over it and comes out. You know, story is important. You, you know, if you don't have a story, don't start writing. Uh, and story is underrated totally. It's the most important facet of, you know, writing is coming up with the story. But it's because it's invisible. You know, people see your actors, they hear the dialogue, they hear the music, they see the art direction. But story is this invisible thing that propels the entire uh, you know, narrative that people, it's, it's just invisible. You know, I'm sure if you asked uh, a clothing guy, what's the most important part of making jeans? You know, he would say, oh, the inside stitch, because it falls apart if you don't, <laughs> you know. Right. Well, and, okay. Talking about stories, again, uh, very uniquely done on Arrested Development, because from what I understand, you would have like all of these index cards of various stories and you'd put them up on a board and then you would have like string that would attach one to the other and how this one attached to that one. And it looked like the Burlington logo. Well, Yeah, I mean, that happened more later. (laughs) The string was added around uh, later on when we had to do uh, what was different was when when we came back to Netflix, the characters were all older. And Mm -hmm. there's a difference between writing George Michael as a a 15-year-old and George Michael as a 26-year-old. Sure. And, you know, but we had to get all the stories, we had to get all of it approved. And so, and because of the, 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 the way that we were telling that particular story, that was, that, that's where the yarn came in. Uh, hey, I wonder where that expression comes, you know, uh, <laughs> yarn. Uh, but, um, but in, in, in early ones, we just had like stories, uh, you know, uh, Job, Job pretends to, you know, accidentally becomes a waiter while making fun of a waiter. <laughs> you know, may I bring you your things? He gets a tip and he realizes, you know, he becomes a waiter. That's like a freestanding story. And then you just, and then Mitch was just great at like going, hey, this would be a good time to, 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 to you, know, you know, to pull that in, you know? So you would kind of, you would kind of fit them in. And, and we got, we got like, we were, we were learning how to do this, this new thing where to me, the big difference was it was around 2001, I think, when we came out. And just then, people were able to stop with TiVo and look at the line again. You know, it was the first time people could own the shows and really wa- and rewatch them. And I realized in editing, we would come up with a funny little scene and I would go and we would watch it 10 times, you know, you know, you know, five looking for mistakes and the other five just patting ourselves on the back going, oh, my God, this is rewatchable. And good comedy is rewatchable. 
And I thought, okay, you know, I realized we had a rewatchable thing and a medium at the time, which allowed us to look at stuff again, you know? And, uh, and so we could go, Hey, we could put another joke in. They won't get it the first time, but maybe they'll see, they'll see it the second time or the, the third time watching. And I think that just sort of changed how we put it out there, how we made the show, because, uh, usually you would pitch a joke and they say, no one's going to catch that. And then the third or fourth time people saw it and it's like, oh, and I noticed, uh, uh, the fourth time I saw it, uh, I see, uh, Tobias's blue thumbprint in the, uh, in a thing, it's another little level that makes it makes it laugh. And then Mitch has always been, you know, the 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 king of the callbacks. He loves callbacks. And then we began doing what we called call forwards. <laughs> and uh, ding, oh, is my time up? I'm sorry. <laughs> and, <laughs> um, yeah. So it, it was. It really. It's like I. I it's it's strange to talk about it because, um, uh, you know, you, you really it really does bring you into like you're kind of in a zone it must have been like when you guys were doing mash in the beginning especially going look what we're getting away with look what they're allowing us to do you know look at the look at the subject matter you know blood oh my god real blood in a tv show blood you know you couldn't show a toilet until 1979 you know? True. <laughs> on television the restrictions yeah. so our new freedoms were um Hey, we don't. Not everybody has to catch it the first time, because now we have a medium where people can own the show. Like right after you air it with TiVo, you could own it and look at it again, and um, and that changed our storytelling. And I think it changed storytelling for everybody. I mean, now now it's all sort of like that's how people do it, you know. You yeah, know now it's all, all serialized. All serialized. Okay, final question: Who are some of the writers on Arrested Development? <laughs> Well, the, 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 the core writers <laughs> from the beginning, uh, of course, Richie Rosenstock added everything to this show. He was the end of the grandma. But my, my favorite joke is that Richie just said, there's so many, but uh, we were like, hey, wouldn't it be funny if uh, Tobias always had like some jeans or something underneath his pants? And Richie went, Oh, he's a never nude. <laughs> like it was a thing. Like, like this was an actual, actual thing. And we went, what? And he goes, oh, he's a never nude. Yeah, I know people like that. They can never be nude. <laughs> so I call them never nudes, right? So there's that sort of flavor in it. John Levenstein, who I met way back in 1983, uh, and uh he was a writer on a show called television parts that Michael Nesmith, it was comedy videos. Um, and as when I was in, in a comedy hack, I was in a funny boys and I made some that night. I, I knew John from that. And uh, you know, he, he was just, you know, you know, an important voice in the show. Uh, the, those first couple of seasons, you know, you, you, you discover characters as, as, as you go along and everybody has a, I mean, uh, I remember once we had Mike, Michael Sarah. There was su- su- such a difference with that type of character. He kind of reminds me of Charlie Brown. And at one point, you know, I, you know, I think I did say, hey, let's play that Charlie Brown's <laughs> sad music when he's walking home with his girlfriend. says, da, 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 da. <laughs> and I did my little, you know, head down, right? And it was like fighting to get the rights to do the Charlie Brown music, <laughs> you know? <laughs> 
friend was, I remember the day we got it, our, uh, David Rosenthal, our guy who was, you know, working on getting the clearance. And it was like right up until like the Friday night before. He goes, we got it. We got Charlie Brown music. <laughs> the real one. And that's when I, you know, but John, but John, John, I think like added to, I think there's one line I always attribute to John that Michael Sarah says something because uh, he was feeling sad, but he said, uh, it's a good day to be sad. <laughs> <laughs> like, I, I like these, like, like little moments. There was, like, a humanity to all of his writing. Who else in this, in this was, like, Mitch, me, uh, Brad Copeland was great in the first season. You know, Barbie Adler was great. Uh, we just had a good writing staff. We had a lot of laughs, and we had, you know, Barbie Adler <laughs> was, like, uh, Came up, I think she came up with Gene Walter Weatherman as the name for the guy with one arm, you know? Uh-huh. You know, just like, we, we, it was new. It was like virgin snow, you know? It was like we were in an area that, like, nobody had been in yet. And not that we invented the area. The technology, I think, invented the, the area. You know what I mean? Well, you guys sure made the most of it. Truly a great show, and uh, you're being very humble. You were a huge part of it as well. Jim, this has really been fun. Thank you so much. Yeah, and uh, Ken, right if you get work, as the great Bob and Ray always used to say, and hang by yourself. Yeah, they uh, they won't hire me anymore, but yeah, okay. (laughs) You know, you can be nice. You can be, I I find it's so much easier to be complimentary to the dead. (laughs) (laughs) And on that, we'll say adieu. Okay, and say hi to Lillian Gish for me because I know you guys still have dinner. And that will do it for my two-part interview with Jim Vallely. I hope you learned a lot about Rested Development and Lillian Gish. Our thanks, as always, to Adam and Susie Meister-Butler, to Howard Hoffman, John Wolford, Bruce and Jason Miller. If you want to get in touch with me, I will write you back. My email address, as always, hollywoodlevine at outlook.com. That's hollywoodlevine at outlook.com. I am on Twitter at Ken Levine. I am also on Instagram, Hollywood and Levine. More fun stuff next week. Thanks for listening. Please subscribe, stay safe, and I'll talk to you soon. Hollywood and Levine.